I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to After TV, the ESPN of TV Talk. Now, let the buzz Welcome, everyone, one and all, to After 83 Weeks with Christy Elson. That's not me. I'm Steve Kaufman. I am Eric Bischoff's digital producer here on the 83 Weeks channel. Christy Olsen is on assignment in Texas. She can share more if she'd like to on the Twitter. But joining me to my immediate left, he is a bi, um, bilingual host and indie wrestler. He is George oh, oh. Hermosa. George Hermosa, my, yes. This is a WCW part. I was doing my Das Wonder <laughs> Kid, Alex Wright dance. <laughs> To his immediate left, um, without Christy, we had to kind of beauty up this table a little. He oh, is. Keep going. You can catch him on the <laughs> AEW After Show here at AfterBuzz TV. Here mm-hmm. geographically, he is Jack Farmer. Hey. If you're gonna do the uh, Wonderkin, I'll do the uh, Disco, Disco Inferno. Wow. I remember, I remember uh, they, there was like a thing where uh, it was Alex Wright, Disco Inferno, and then Tokyo Magnum came out. Yeah, and then Johnny Swinger would come out. I was like, dude, that's like the best, like the dancing fool stable. Yeah, man, I'm gonna. The I Boogie Nights. The, ball. I, the Boogie Nights. I believe they were. They went by. Yeah, but Tokyo Magnum would come out and start dancing. And it's <laughs> yeah, like, he man. did. The, yeah, he had a dude. It was the best. I kind of want to see how far this would go without my input. Right. Just, <laughs> no, no. Dude, and I just think that because I'm a big stables guy, like that was but, just so perfect. And they, they could feud with three count. To keep oh, the three count was the best. Get yeah. up on your feet. Right. Get your <laughs> together. We so, like Britney Spears and uh, Sing 2. I think we, we like yeah. Backstreet Boys and Sing 2. Britney Spears is kind of cute. Kinda we cute, watch yeah. TRL on MTV. I think we Everybody three count. One, two, two three. three. So someone else who was down for the count was George Barrios and Michelle Wilson for, and we talked about this or we didn't talk about this it's on Barrios. air last week. Barrios is Barrios. It Barrios? Yeah, okay. Barrios. Eh? <laughs> I can loosen up a little bit now that our actual host is here. That's why you're here, George. Yeah. But Eric himself uh, spoke at much length as I think he could on this subject. That well, I don't know. When I was there, I was only formal. I was all in my ni- in my niche. This and that. I think while we're here, before we have Eric, what do we think this fire this uh, dismissal? abruptly means for the WWE. I think it's interesting because I think he was saying like Vince McMahon doesn't really make rash decisions. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of thinking like what has been building up to for this decision to happen because that's a pretty big like even if you were to make rash decision, that's a pretty big big move to make just on the spur of the moment. Well, so there's so much more to the story that I want to know. Well, the stock price dropped, and I'm not super familiar with the timeline, but did the drop happen after the announcement or before? The announcement after it happened after the market closed, specifically so the stock wouldn't drop that day. So the aftermarket, so they were they closed around 60 that day, and then they announced that they were letting go of their presidents right before an earnings call, and the aftermarket dropped it from 60 to 40. So it opened at 40 the next morning, 9 a.m. Eastern. I mean, and then it, ha- it I don't think it's really recovered. Like, at one point since then, it's been at 50. I but mean, it's right around 45 today. I mean, it sounds like it's a, uh, you, you gotta have a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. I think that's, that's, that's um, what it probably really be- drops down to, is just a scapegoat. So, I go ahead. my thought, and I have no idea, is, and I'm reading between the lines of, he lets go of the presidents that have been there a very long time. And then the next day on the earnings call, he says, I'm okay, I'm open to selling off pieces of the network to other networks. 
essentially. I'm, I'm, I'm open to letting WrestleMania be on Fox and that what maybe them paywalling it or abwalling it on their own. I'm ready to let some of the VOD stuff get sold off to Peacock. He didn't say that, but that's what we're all hearing. Right. I'm reading between the lines and I know nothing beyond these facts that it looks like these two people were looking for a long-term steady income thing that the WWE Network would be, whereas Vince wants to pivot. But I, I think and if it's Vince's company and he wants to pivot, right. it doesn't matter if it's the day before an earnings call or there's going to be a, going to be a month long severance uh, moving forward. Vince is going to pivot, and therefore you pivot. So I think that's crazy, though. Like, because like, to, at least for me, I think that'd be extra money. Because uh, and this is a sample of three. Would you cancel WWE Network if the Big Four weren't on the network? As of now, yeah. Really. I, I don't, I, I mean, I watch some of the stuff on the network, but for the most part, most of my usage comes from the, the pay-per-views. What about you? 100%. You would cancel We already it? lost NXT. We already lost NXT. So you would cancel the network if they didn't have the big four? I would cancel the network if they didn't have the big four, especially if especially if they put the big fours uh, behind other paywalls. All right. So yeah, maybe, so that's maybe, once I guess, again, I, guess, I, think, I think that's the difference. I think if Fox bought the big four and aired them on Fox, not Fox Sports, on Fox they would have an easier time saying, well, I mean, it's Fox. If you're in America, you have an antenna from the dollar store. You can watch WrestleMania. I think that's different from what is likely to happen, which is they're going to try to sell it off to Fox Sports. Well, have, they, have they announced who the next president is going to be? It's, they announced the interim. But I was going to say, like, I guess maybe uh, I, I incorrectly uh, guessed that, I mean, it, it turns out I'm in the minority, because I wouldn't cancel it, because even though if they sell off the big four, you still have the takeovers, which is worth the price alone. You still have all the other pay-per-views, mm-hmm. which is at least, like, 12. You still have all the great clients. And I've been saying it from day one. If you just had the library uh, itself, that alone is worth nine ninety nine. If you just had the pay-per-view by itself without the library that alone is worth 99 i think 99 is still a way better value than than you would think i think we all got a little spoiled a, by having on pay-per-views but that's but. what i'm saying to a new subscriber to a new subscriber i do think if you take some a little bit of value away that value is still good to a new I, subscriber but even, so, but even as a new subscriber which you guys are you guys completely like baffled me by saying you guys would cancel your subscription if the big four weren't there I'm in the minor. I would say I would still keep it because I think it's a great value right. because you still get all the other pay per views. My, my thought is if it's if the new person that gets uh, appointed to president is someone who used to be with a company like NBC, that will answer all the questions. Also, and I'll I want to be on record for saying this. There's a lot of slight talk about the WWE as a whole being bought, and I think there's two different there's two different talks. And I this I think this is the panel. Before we yeah. get to Eric, I think mm-hmm. this is fascinating. Um, my Guess would be if something if they were just trying to sell the VOD network by itself and kill the WWE network altogether. I think something like the Peacock network would be the right way to go. Yeah, because then that's that's massive bulk out to a thing that they're trying to get people to buy. Disney Plus, not so much. ESPN Plus, maybe, but they're already working with Fox. Maybe if Fox Sports is doing their own thing. I'm kind of curious how much the Peacock is going to do just for having friends. Because like, I have this big uproar okay. about, like, oh, God, friends are leaving Netflix. Well, one, it's already on, like, 18 times a day on TBS, on all the other ones, yeah. you know? Netflix is making a lot with uh, with mm-hmm. friends, though. But yeah. I will say, and it's a crazy tinfoil hat conspiracy that I have to condense to 90 seconds, if the WWE as a whole company were to be purchased, Amazon would be the best buyer. Because Amazon wants to control the entire consumer experience from the watching and the purchasing. So if you already pay for Amazon Prime, which would probably go up over to around 120 a month, 
If you say a for month. one, oh, sorry, a year. If you get, Jeez, if you yeah. pay one twenty <laughs> a year, which is what you're paying for the WWE Network, but you get Amazon Prime, which is free one day shipping in most locations. Their entire video library, the entire WWE Network video library, and WWEShop.com would then get taken over by Amazon if it were a corporate takeover, which does not seem very likely. Amazon's my call. People are saying Disney. People are saying Disney are going to buy it, and I'm like Disney Disney would never buy it. Disney doesn't. Disney doesn't. There's no value to Disney to buy it without that. But I think we did a lot. Um, Okay, never mind. I was told Eric is standing by, and now he's not standing by. So we should move on to Eric's um, b- prowess for breweries. Did anybody else find this fascinating? I I am someone who, uh, in my time, has enjoyed uh, different types of beers. So I thought it was very interesting to hear him talk about mm-hmm. the different types of beers, and especially him going on trips to try different kinds of beers. I thought that was cool. That is pretty cool. I know there's an Ultimate Warrior beer. I, they, ha- they have an Ultimate Warrior beer in Florida. What uh, kind of beer is it? I feel like it has that. Kind of everything's an IPA these days, but I feel. But I know it's like a. Uh, I had a, a, a WB wrestler tell me that he was traveling to the UK. He had had stop in Orlando, and in that airport, they had the Ultimate Warrior beer. Um, but unfortunately, it's only exclusive to mm-hmm. that area. Orange. I feel like it needs to have like a ton of caffeine or something, and it's like just wind you up whenever you drink it. Um, it's got a pretty good score. It's an eight point five percent ABV, so that's not a session beer, as we learned from Eric. That is very much, that is very much not a session beer at all. It's ranked eighty nine out of a hundred. That's never like a had, good one. I've never had the Stone Cold beer though. Yeah, I've been sober since he came out with it. It's unfortunate. Um, but on that note, I think Eric is now standing by. So on the other end of this break, we're going to have Eric Bischoff. Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started. Um, joining us at this time is totally not for the second time. He's an <laughs> entrepreneur. He had a very warm welcome to our live studio audience. He is Eric Bischoff, everyone. Yes. The crowd just as lively as the first time. Yes. That's amazing. <laughs> Usually the energy will drown out by now. <laughs> Eric, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? We're doing good. Uh, yeah. sorry, sorry, no Christy today. She's on location in Texas. On location, doing what in Texas? Um, uh, a humanitarian effort. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, this this was a wonderful episode. Uh, you and Con- you and Conrad Conrad does a good job of spacing out the Q and A episodes. That when we when we get them, we get them with enough time that there are so many questions you can't possibly get to all of them. And I right yeah we um and he also just released his slate upcoming on Twitter today. Are there any episodes that you're, any topics you're looking forward to in the next, I think it's about 10 weeks? No, not really. I mean, I haven't taken a look at the list yet. Um, I usually don't start thinking about the show I'm going to do next until generally the day before, because I like to keep it feeling fresh in my mind. So I'll, you know, I'll go over a couple notes, uh, really, but for the most time, most of the time, I just go back and look at whatever we're going to talk about and I watch it on the network. So it you know, it's relatively fresh in my mind. Some of the stuff's 20 years old. But as far as, you know, or 25 or maybe longer, as far as what I'm looking to, you know, I look forward to all of them because each episode 
um, brings back so many different memories. Sometimes it's just the venue. Sometimes it's the city the venue's in. Sometimes it's the match or, or the things that were going along with it. So every one of those, every one of those shows is like a trip down you know, memory lane for me. Hmm. TNA Lockdown is the one that I think is jumping out to a lot of folks. Not to me. <laughs> Who said that? George. George said not to me. What's up with you, George? What didn't you like about TNA Lockdown? Um, I mean, TNA... I, I, I always have this feeling about TNA. I just feel like it was... I think when you guys were there, it added a lot so I, I, I like to hear that aspect of it, but just overall, just I think that TNA fairly and unfairly has a bad stigma when it comes to just an overall reputation. Yeah, I mean they did some things right, but they did so many things wrong that I can't I can't disagree with you. And if you think it was hard for you watching it, <laughs> should have been me, brother. Well, well, speaking of well, maybe what was some of your favorite parts about TNA just being there, um, just your experience, just maybe I know there's like I said bad stigma, but what were some of your favorite things from being there? I mean, look, I, I think you know, it's probably because of me and my smart ass comments, and sometimes trying to be funny and entertaining and a little bit snarky, mm-hmm. just to stay at least a little bit in character. <laughs> um, <laughs> Kayfabe's not completely dead for me yet. <laughs> Killing it. I'm trying every day, but it's not dead yet. Um, overall, th- there was many good things. There, there was a lot of good things about being in TNA. I, I don't mean to paint them all dark and miserable because they weren't. Um, there were, you know, there were plenty of occasions. Even you know, one of the things I hated was shooting at a soundstage. Because no matter how great the action is in the ring, it just looks so third class, you know, when, when you've got just a studio audience and, and no disrespect to, you know, NWA or NXT or anybody else that's doing things in a soundstage or a studio. But for me personally, it's hard, right? So that was, you know, the, the darker part of it for me overall. But, you know, working with my son, my son and Ric Flair it was a blast, you know, watching my son work with Kurt Angle and with AJ Styles and you know, Bobby Roode and so many of the other great talents that were there, you know, when Garrett was there, Jeff Hardy. You know, my, my son got to work with a lot of top names in a very brief period of time. And I'll always be grateful for that because that's an amazing memory for him. It was a goal of his as a kid growing up to be able to step in the ring with his dad. And, and I didn't know that until much later, honestly. But, you know, we were able to live out, you know, a lot of that. That was, like I said, my son's, you know, goal growing up or whatever. And for me as a dad, come on, how could you look back and, mm-hmm. and you know, not smile about that? So there was a lot of good things, too. I know he started off TNA as a ref. Was that always the plan to, to be from ref to wrestler or just kind of like they did with Shane McMahon where it's like, let's start you off here and just go from there? No, it was really. Let's if you wanna you wanna be a wrestler. And by the way, my son Garrett uh, went to Rikishi School in California. Mm-hmm. He, I mean, he was living in, in Los Angeles, going to that school for a couple of years, I believe. So he trained there, and then came to Florida and trained down there with Brian Nobbs and Hulk and you know a lot of the locals that were down there and he trained there for a while and then when TNA kind of came into the scene you know he wanted to break into the business but I wanted him to I wanted him to learn it from the ground up mm-hmm. 
as opposed to stepping into the ring and learning it from the ring down, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, I started him out as a referee and just, you know, subsequently the idea came up of the whole aces and eights things and he was already a ref and nobody knew his name. And I mean, it was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, something, uh, speaking of where people start and, and all those things, a question I've always had, and this might get us into the weeds, but I like it when you get into the weeds, Eric. Uh it comes to contracts. You've, you know, obviously negotiated contracts and things in the past, but I've always wondered when dealing with wrestlers, do you have a template or a formula for how you figure out how one is valued over the other, particularly like the mid-card guys? Cuz the the top level guys, you can probably look at like pay-per-view sales and merchandise, but for example, if you're looking at like a, a Perry Saturn and a Lance Storm, how do you value find the value of one versus the other do you have like a, a formula you go by or is it gut feeling uh in, in those th- that was a good example that you gave two good names to pick up as an example because when they both came to wcw neither one of them were you know certainly eddie guerrero wasn't you know the star that he went on to become right nor, nor were a lot of guys in that era but in that in that moment there you know it, it's subjective right you right. could probably argue if if you're a relative or a close friend, you could probably make an argument for either or both of them mm-hmm. to to be in a different category. But the truth is, when I looked at them, I looked at them as mid-tier, meaning for me, mid-tier meant that they were able to work uh, something other than opening matches, that you could put them in the crossover, uh, for example, which is other than the final 15 minutes of a show the crossover is probably the most important which is why you know i put the the cruiserweights in that crossover period and why it works so effectively so if i if i thought here's talent that i could i know i could depend on in the crossovers or certainly in the main events and then pay-per-view they would they would scale up from there obviously you'd have your entry level you know guys that were going to the power plant where I think seventy-five or eighty-five thousand dollars a year to get into the power plant and train, and then once or or once they've gone through training, by the way, I'm sorry, I would give them a a fee, if you will, of eighty-five, seventy-five or eighty-five thousand a year. Once they were able to actually have some opening and matches on television, that might bump up to one hundred and twenty-five, depending on who it was. Then you get in, you know, you start getting into that mid tier, and that's where it gets a little tricky because some people come, you know, they're they're in that mid tier, and all of a sudden they're rocking it. You're giving them good opportunities, you're giving them that crossover moment where you know you're going to turn up the dial, and they rise to the occasion, and before they know it, they're talking, you know, main event kind of status. So, it at the end of the day, though, it's all subjective, right? There's nothing you can really point to that's totally defensible. So speaking of money, I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. DM87 wants to know, do uh, former and current employees of the WWE have access to the network for free, or do they have to pay the $9.99 a month like the rest of us? <laughs> well, I won't speak for the rest of the uh, current or former employees, but I pay for mine. Hmm. Speaking of the network, there's been a lot of talk this past week, and we even we talked about it earlier on in the show, too, about Vince McMahon and the WWE selling off the big four, you know, WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, and SummerSlam to maybe like a streaming platform or, a, or a, you know, Fox or whatever. What do you think about that overall? I mean, obviously, we always talk about 999 WWE. In my opinion, I think it's an amazing value. But do you think it would lose value by not having those big four? Or where do you think – how do you just fall on that kind of talk that was happening this past week? You know, there's so much I don't know that um, I really hesitate to comment 
uh, because you end up sounding stupid no matter how hard you try. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, let me uh, here's 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 how I feel about it. If that's a decision, and obviously I'm not blowing smoke up anybody at WWE's ass, right? I'm just I'm being honest. If there is a thought process in place and discussions in place to move the big four pay-per-views over to a streaming platform, it's for the financial good of the company. That's all. And no more, no less. And if it's in the best interest of the company financially in the long term, I'm a huge supporter of it. Because no, no matter what we feel or think as consumers or viewers or fans, whatever you want to call us, um, if the business isn't around and, and if the business isn't healthy, then we may not have a product. We may not have a business. So whatever it takes to keep the business grow, flowing and creating more opportunities for people like AEW or NWA or Impact or whoever, Ring of Honor, you know, pick one inserted here. The more successful the sports entertainment industry is, and by virtue of default, the healthier WWE is, because that's really what it's all about at this point, the healthier everybody gets. Do you think for a moment, does anybody watching, listening to this or whatever, think for a moment that two years ago or three years ago if WWE's television ratings would have been a tank and if nobody really wanted to do a deal with them do you think there'd be an AEW today? No. If you, no. It, I think the fact that the WWE has set the bar so high and over delivered on that bar for so many years standing now that that's what creates opportunity for, for newer younger companies to start up because networks are saying to themselves well uh, I want one of those. <laughs> Why can't I have one? So, whatever well, works. Uh, you know, right now a lot of that information is, as Conrad would say, is uh, rumor and innuendo. And a lot of the rumor and innuendo comes from uh, people who, I believe, on the the show this week, you said peripheral media. I, I can't remember the the phrase. Yeah, yet. I'm I'm, tr- I'm trying really hard, really hard. Because listen, I read a lot of my Twitter stuff. Right, and I know that there's a lot of fans out there that you know get a big kick out of me, you know, bashing certain people and going off on those you know tangents. And by the way, I don't think about them, I don't rehearse them, I don't, I don't have a you know note sheet sitting in front of me that you know suggests when I should go off on a tangent. It, but I, you know, I know some people find it entertaining, but I, I kind of I, I don't want to do it anymore. It's just right. negative, you know, and I feel like kind of much such a whiner and a bitcher and I'm always <laughs> whining and bitching about the same thing so I'm trying to handle it in a much more elegant way well my, my, my question about these people sometimes you know you see them say things on Twitter and sometimes they lean more positive towards certain companies than others and people will jump on Twitter and say you must be on the payroll at company you know ABC or, or what have you is in your experience is that ever the case is there any ever any you know, wrestling influencer that is paid by a company, or is that just crazy? Well, look, when I was active in the industry, there was no such things as influencers. <laughs> not, not technically, there wasn't. You know, now, now you could put that on a resume, and everybody knows what you know a social media influencer is. You know, twenty years ago, their social media was going to a bar. You know, right. <laughs> it was it was a big deal. Um, 
do I think anybody does it now? No. I th- look, I think everybody has their own proclivities. I think everybody's got something, you know, something about one organization perhaps that they like better than the others. Or sometimes it's just loyalty. Or honestly, I think 80% of it is just, you know, Twitter fools doing t- stupid Twitter shit, <laughs> trying to get each other to react, and none of it really means anything anyway. Right. But um, I, I'm, I'm sure that there are, you know, I'm sure certain writers have opinions that are more favorable to one organization than the other. And do I think that that sometimes permeates the way they cover things or the way they frame a comment or frame a tweet? I absolutely do. It's mm-hmm. human nature. I would especially, also, for, especially for people who aren't really professionals to start with. <laughs> I would also say in today's environment, it's pretty more obvious than, oh, they're low-key getting dark money from the WWE. Like, no, the WWE hires Ryan Satin. So right. he, Ryan Satin gets more access. So his stories are painted with that access and not not, not as shady as everyone's pointing it out. Like, oh, you're, you're, right. you're getting dark money by the WWE. Like, no, you can see me on Fox. <laughs> right. It's not dark money. Uh, Eric, I have two quick questions for you, one is from RJ Metal ninety three. What is your Waffle House order? Ugh, Waffle House. Before I get to that, are, are people actually talking about dark money in <laughs> wrestling journalism? <laughs> They're not using that term. That term is for me, but they aren't. Ryan Satin will say something that's favorable to uh, right. the WWE, and they'll be like, "Oh man, it's because you're on the payroll." And it's right. Like, well, that, that's it, but that's a Twitter fool shit. That's what I <laughs> right. mean. There's just – I would say the, the vast majority – when I look at stuff, whether it's good or bad, by the way, I, it, it's not that I just dismiss all the bad shit. <laughs> but these are just people trying to stimulate a response. And sometimes they say really nice things to stimulate a response. And I'm not suggesting that people don't mean it. You know, I'm not suggesting that at all. But the reason they're doing it is because they want to share their feelings with you in hopes that you respond. Now, that's an average normal human being. But then you get these, you know, Twitter fools <laughs> on, 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 you know, the edge of the spectrum. And before you know it, it's just like nothing but stupid shit. So. And I think Dave I don't, Meltzer, pay, I don't pay much attention to it. <laughs> Dave Meltzer, right. someone we haven't brought up yet, I will say as a follower of his, he tends to quote tweet a lot of people. He tends to quote tweet everyone who gets into his mentions. But that doesn't help it either. That if what you does follow, that, mean? that if you follow Dave Meltzer, anyone who says anything to Dave Meltzer, he will quote tweet them with a response, whether it's warranted or not, whether that person's opinion is valid or not. He just feels the need to reply to most people, and I think that that doesn't help the discourse that we're talking about. Mm. Right. <laughs> yeah, anyway, what's your Waffle House order? I've never been to one. Oh, you are not missing out. Um, cracker Barrel for life. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, I have been. I have been to a couple Cracker Barrels. Cracker Barrel is the business. <laughs> uh, but I tell you what, I went. You know, I went there when I was uh, actually when I was driving back from Miami because I I was living in Tampa. I was, we were staying in Tampa at the time, so I drove my truck down to Miami to get on the Jericho cruise, and I drove back. And on the way back, I stopped in a crack, uh, Cracker Barrel. Holy smokes! I ordered just two eggs, bacon, hash browns, and it came with grits. It came with a whole pile of biscuits and like a half a quart of butter. There was so much food there, and I thought, I, if I eat even a fraction of this, I'm going to have a heart attack before I get back to Tampa. They pile a lot of food on you at Cracker Barrel. Uh, the second question was from North Empt. Why did WCW only come to Montreal once in 1997? Mostly because of the expense. 
that was a big part of it. And there was a lot of talent that had a hard time getting across the border. Hmm. You know, people may or may not know this as we get ready to go into a little bit of the weeds. Um, you don't need you don't need your lawnmower, maybe <laughs> just a little weed whacker. Um, you know, here in the United States, if you get a DUI and you try to get over the border into Canada, most likely you'll get turned back. I mean, I know, you know I'll talk about immigration and all that kind of thing, but if you look at the laws in Canada for stepping into over the Canadian border versus those of the United States, the United States makes Canada look like, God, I don't know, Disneyland. <laughs> I mean, it's t- it's tough. So when you've got, you know, you've got your whole you know roster of wrestling talent, and let's face it, most of those individuals live life in a very large and exuberant way, and sometimes it comes back and bites them in the ass. But you've got talent that may or may not be able to get over the border because of a DUI or other uh, more serious parking offense, or excuse me, driving offense. Now you've got your whole production team. Now we're looking at 130 or 140 people that you're bringing across the border to produce a show. Out of those 130 or 40 people, I don't know what the answer is, but I can only guess at the percentage of those that probably have a DUI somewhere in their in their docket. So it becomes a real issue. And on top of that, it's the expense. I was a big uh, Alex Wright mark, uh, you know, during the 95 to 97. Uh, How do you think his progression was during the time that you were there? And why do you think that maybe he didn't progress even higher to maybe a United States title run or even, you know, main eventer? I'm really glad you brought him up, George. Alex is a guy that deserves a lot more credit than he'll ever get. He'll he'll never get it because he wasn't around long enough to have had people's attention and and think that he was important. But if you go back and study Alex Wright from the time he started with WCW, and I I think we billed him as 18, but he was legitimately 19 years old, and watch him for three, four, five years, which in the lifespan of of a top talent is, you know, they're still in diapers, right? It takes five, six years to really break into that category where you really, really know what you're doing in all kinds of different situations. But go back and watch Alex Wright. I just watched him a little while ago. I started watching the show that Conrad and I are going to tape early tomorrow morning. And one of the first matches was with, uh, it was from um, Starcast, or excuse me, Super Bowl Five. Mm-hmm. Was it with Paul Roma? Yeah, it was <laughs> with Paul Roma and Alex Wright. I love that match. I'm going to give you a little preview because I, 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 we haven't dropped the, the show yet, but my notes on it were, and I don't have them in front of me, but I'll remember them because I just did them a few minutes ago for the show. Um, if you look at the way Alex Wright, now keep in mind he was green. He mm-hmm. was 19 years old. He had never really wrestled. In, he'd never wrestled on television before. He had never wrestled in front of big crowds before. He had certainly never wrestled with some of the names that he was in the ring with. So just imagine being that 19-year-old kid coming over here. And then go back and watch that match with Roma. I thought Alex Wright did a phenomenal job. I think where he, in that particular match, he oversold or he sold dead. You know, there's a way to sell as a baby face that keeps hope alive. And there's a way to sell as a baby face where you look like you're just a dead fish. And Alex, unfortunately, was still in the learning you know, phase of really understanding the art of selling 
and how and when and how much. So I think, you know, Alex oversold for Roma. Roma no sold. <laughs> Roma was taking shots to the midsection and barely registering them. And he was the heel. You know, he could have sold that. He could have given that baby face a little bit. But that, that wasn't my biggest issue. My biggest issue was when, and this was in Alex's fault, man. When Alex finally made a little bit of a comeback and he was coming out of it, what's he do? He dances. <laughs> That's heat. Now you got a 19-year-old kid that doesn't really know for sure what he's doing. He's being positioned as a baby face. He's in there with a guy that doesn't want to sell for him while he's overselling and killing his own character in the process. And then we hit to the final bright spot of the match, and he breaks into a dance. And it got too much heat on him. And then the whole the whole balance, if you go back and watch mm -hmm. that thing again, and I encourage you to do it, the whole balance of the, the audience shifted. And all of a sudden, they're cheering the heel, Paul mm -hmm. Roma, because they, they give two shits about Alex. Not because he didn't have the right you know, look. Not because he wasn't physically, technically capable, capable in a ring. Because I think he was way better than Roma from a technical point of view, timing point of view, and athleticism and all that. But man, he just buried his character with that mm. fucking dance <laughs> coming coming out of a kind of, coming out of a comeback. It's like the last thing you should do. There was Whatever. an elbow drop that Paul Roma did in that match. It was just wicked. But are, just real quick, are you too sober to do the Alex Wright dance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here, here. I am drinking. Oh wow! Watermelon water. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay sober to <laughs> not do the Alex Wright dance. Mm. Is there any, uh, speaking of Alex Wright and dance music, do, is there any intro music that was your favorite? Anything that stood out to you just over the years of any wrestler that you're like, this person definitely has the best intro music? Well, I, you know, pull the string, wind me up. He says the same thing every time. Uh <laughs> You know, I think the NWO music was about as perfect as it mm -hmm. could be, and it wasn't created, it wasn't designed. Nobody sat back and orchestrated it, right? We just happened to find it in a Warner Time Warner music library catalog, so we could use it without having to pay any money. That's the whole story. But it was cool, yeah. and it fit, and it was classic for them. You know, I think Hogan's, you know, Voodoo Child, Jimi Hendrix, how do you beat that? Mm -hmm. Come on doesn't matter whether it was my idea or not my idea i think that music whenever i hear that song i don't think of you know Jimi hendrix at woodstock i think of the nwo i think so that that's pretty perfect i think particularly how it complemented the sound of the nwo music too because it sounded like they'd go together as well another stroke of good luck <laughs> <laughs> um I think Jack Sparrow in the chat is going to bring us to the weeds, and that's probably going to bring us to a close. Um, he loved the, yes, the Devil's Ride television show, and he wants to know why there wasn't a season two. Because season one didn't do well enough. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, you know, at the end of the day, it always comes down to dollars, right? And that was an expensive show to produce uh, because it was a lot of you know, multiple locations and you're on the road and you're shooting a lot of footage blowing down a highway at 80 miles an hour. So it takes certain kinds of crews and talent to be able to pull that off. Uh, and it was a very expensive show to produce and it just didn't, uh, it didn't bring in the numbers adequately to support the expense of the show. Do you guys have anything, any parting? 
I mean, I think the Horsemen had the best theme song. Okay. But what was it? Hum, hum it for me. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> Which one, sorry, Eric? He wants you to hum it. Jack already hummed it. The Horseman? Yeah. 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 Oh, you said which one? He said hum it. To hum it. Oh, hum it. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> wow. That music sucks, bro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe it's just... Yeah. <laughs> I, I want to say not to blow smoke up your ass. I do like your individual Bischoff theme. Which one? Well, the, one that, the, one that he had, the one that he had by himself. The... Was oh, that the WWE theme? No, the WCW one. Yeah. No, it was called. Didn't I? Didn't I steal that off of an album? Wasn't Probably. that White Train? Yes. We get we get flagged for that one a lot on the on the YouTube you? channel. Yes. It is it is for sure called White Train. So if you, if you, I think it was off the the Desperado uh, movie soundtrack. Is where I found that. It was in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. That's where I heard it first. I'm dope. I think I think that's a good place to leave us. Eric, thank you so much for joining us here on After 83 Weeks, and we're we're gonna see you next week, right? But, uh, possibly be able to talk. <laughs> no, I'm gonna be in Cutter. I'm gonna be in Dope. Oh, sorry, you're gonna be in Cutter, so we're not gonna have you next week. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you the week after that, hopefully with Christy, whose name is on the wall. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, see you guys. Uh, Jack, where can the people find you on all the social media? Yeah, you can find me at jackcfarmer.com as well as at realjackfarmer across all social media. You can also check me out on AfterBuzz TV for the AEW Dynamite After Show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Pacific. I was always a big fan of the Harlem Heat uh, one, too. But you can find me at G-Hermosa, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A, on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm Steve Kaufman. You find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K-U-F-M-A-N-N. For Jack Farmer, George Ramosa, I'm Steve Kaufman. This has been the 83 Weeks channel, and have a good night. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.